High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Son, you gotta work late. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Welcome to what feels like the endless summer here on High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And the party's at my place this evening. But first, we gotta, I don't know, talk, discuss, vamp a little. Because we're still in summer school here. It's been quite the challenge doing our thing. I mean, look, I've enjoyed it. I'm just hoping to get on the fall schedule of the Cage Club Podcast Network. I hope they won't cancel us. So we're trying our best. We're covering some really fun films here. Speaking of the Cage Club Podcast Network, by the way, you can check all the old episodes out on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of this podcast and so many other great pop culture podcasts. And I say old episodes. That doesn't mean that they're old, old, right? Yeah, we have 300 plus episodes, but we have episodes that came out last week. We have episodes that came out two weeks ago. We got a bunch of episodes that I know you're going to love. Last week's episode was Space Camp with Mike Manzi, the immortal Mike Manzi, the amazing Mike Manzi. That was a really fun movie to talk about. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five-star review or a positive rating. And just be good to us at High School Slumber Party. Support us. We need your support now more than ever. Show the love Show the love on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, High School Slumber Party, I'm there. I also have my own post. I also have my own page on Twitter. Oh my Rodriguez. O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. With a Z. I am not Portuguese. Well, according to Ancestry.com, I am part Portuguese, but no, I have the Z spelling. <laughs> All right, we have a really, really fun movie for you today, Pleasantville. I bring two of my high school friends together for this one. Chris Carroll, who's been on the podcast before. Danny Kim, who's been on the podcast before. You're going to really, really love this episode. But before that, I want to say something quick. We lost a legend, a legend this week. Olivia Newton-John passed away. Ugh. She's so good in Greece, so good in so many things. Great musical career, great acting career. Check out our Greece episode. That was a crossover with Wistful Thinking. That's way deep in the archive, but Google it, you'll find it. Just Google Greece High School Slumber Party. It will appear. Or just, you know, look it up on your podcast app. It was so fun to talk about Greece. Olivia Newton John was a big reason for that. She'll be so missed. And I know my opinion changed on Grease. Like, as a kid, I did not like that movie. I thought the ending was like a sellout ending. 
but I understood it on the watch for this podcast more than I ever have, and you should really listen to that episode so you can kind of see why, right? And that's just one way to really remember the career of Olivia Newton-John, right? Watch her movies, listen to her music, and remember the legend that she was. R.I.P. O.N.J. So without further ado, pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's leave you with something off the Pleasantville soundtrack. A classic. Etta James. At last. See you on the other side. into today i don't know we'll talk about it but i'm very very excited to talk this one do you either of you remember how to introduce yourselves on high school slumber party it's been a while i think yeah you uh say where you went to high school what year you graduated so go for it i am christopher carroll i went to northern valley Oldham, and i graduated in 2005 why did they call you crumble uh, <laughs> well Chris Marcicano would start a rumor that I had duty crumbles oh. at a sleepover. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You might want to, yeah, you might want to cut that out. Why? We're reliving, <laughs> you know, our youth here on High School Slumber Party. I don't know how you would think that I had duty crumbles. Did he look in my asshole? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta introduce myself. My name's Danny Kim. I went to Northern Valley Regional High School. I graduated in 2005, and our mascot. It's the Golden Knights. Yep, we all went to high school together, and I was talking to Chris before, and like I didn't realize we've never done this configuration, like truly, like we've all been on the podcast, and well, obviously myself, but you know, in various forms, but the three of us have never podcasted together like this. So I'm definitely excited about this one. Before we talk Pleasantville, though, I want to ask you guys a question, if you will. If you could be Pleasantville into any TV show, like boom. Don Knotts shows up, gives you a remote, and you're suddenly living in that TV show. What TV show would it be? That's a great question. Does it have to be like a old school like style TV show, or it could be not necessarily. Don't say oh in the NHL and play hockey. I mean like a scripted TV show. <laughs> no. <laughs> Brian, I think I know what you would say. I think you would say Friends. Oh, of course, I would say Friends. You know, I'm a Friends fan. <laughs> I live in the city. Thing, yeah, but like that's the thing. Like I was gonna say Seinfeld in that universe, but it's like, oh, I already know New York, and we've we've been there already, and you live in New York, and you know, there's nothing nothing new. I get why someone would pick Seinfeld. I thought one of you might pick Seinfeld, and Seinfeld, like a lot of for me, like a lot of wacky things would happen, and I feel like 
not that I feel like a George or a Kramer, but I feel like I'm more that than Jerry. Like, I don't think the good things that happen to Jerry would happen to me in that world. But Friends is like you just hang out at a coffee house and be 20, 25 forever with your friends. Even if you look 35, you're 25 and you're fucking drinking coffee and people are having babies and things get resolved in 30 minutes. And you know what? That feels good to me. But regardless, I asked the question. So, <laughs> Chris, you go first. It's my favorite show, so I always sunny because they don't apologize for anything, <laughs> whatever they want. <laughs> or I would my second choice is City Guys because they're cool guys in the city. <laughs> city Guys, that's a deep cut. C I T Y, you can see why. I like that. I like the always always sunny thing, Dan. I would say. Uh... Kirby Enthusiasm. So I could just walk around LA and be like, hey, Funkhauser, like walk with his friends, like celebrity friends, and just get lunch at nice places. Yeah, you know what? That's actually like a very cool uh, world to be in, and especially like the stakes are very low in that world, you know? You're already rich and it's just like you're living fucking life. The only challenges are like, the social norms that Larry David goes against. And like, he could say or do whatever he wants and there's no consequence to it. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's yeah. that universe. It's, yeah, it's it basically, hurts. it's always sunny with money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Dick Van Dyke show. I don't know if I want to live in black and white, but he's like a writer for a TV show, and I think that's cool. But again, hijinks ensue. I don't know, because like all the other shows where you're like rich, theoretically, there's a lot of drama and people like die. So I don't necessarily want that. Like, I don't want to step into 90210, you know? Actually, no, I, I changed my answer. I want to be in the OC. Yeah, but people die in that one. Yeah, they're they're hot chicks and you're rich and you go surfing and your dad surfs, but people die in that one. Imagine being sucked into married with children. That would be really (laughs) That would be the worst TV show to be in. Yeah, those are all great shows. It is a fun premise. And honestly, when I remembered this movie, because I haven't seen it in, in a long time, I really thought it was more about like, oh, the hijinks of going into your favorite TV show. And not like life parables and stuff. So I'm curious uh, what your take on Pleasantville is. But before that, like, what is your collective history with this film, Pleasantville? Chris, why don't you go first? Well, if I had to uh, give it a number, I've probably seen it about 37 times. What? It was on really? You've seen it that much? Yeah, oh it was on TNT and TBS nonstop when we were growing up. That's the first time I saw it on TNT. I saw it on TV with commercials. Yeah, it was. It was on like. At least once a week, at the very least. And that would, that's like, was a go-to for me. I used to watch this movie all the time. So, Chris, I'm, I'm looking forward to you, uh, you leading the uh, lecture today, watching 37 mm. times. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's impressive. It was like 20 years ago, so yeah, it's been a while. I think I saw this movie right when it came on, like, rental in middle school era, 98. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember being at, I don't know if you guys remember this kid, Chris Kim. He lived near me. Uh, There's a lot of Chris Kims. Yeah, but Chris Kim. And (laughs) I remember being at his house. Starcraft. Starcraft, Starcraft, exactly. Yeah. I was at his house with a couple other people, one of them being good friend, not of the program, but someone we all know, Sam Petroselli. And he called 
Well, I shouldn't say people's names on this. Eh, whatever. <laughs> he called Megan Flood on her uh, phone and invited her to watch Pleasantville at the theater. That's the first time I really heard of it. Didn't see it in the theater, though, because she declined. But I rented it, and I saw it more as like a um, like a fun teen movie. You know, like it had like young people in it, again, going into their past TV shows. Like, I didn't see it as like a deeper thing at the time. And I really haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years, you know. So um, this was a completely different watch for me. So, Dan, you said you saw it probably on cable? Yeah, I don't remember watching it for the first time but it was definitely on tv on on uh, on cable the, the one scene i remember distinctly was when william h macy he was like eating the olives out of the jar in the in the jail cell i don't know why i just like remember that scene <laughs> so random. So distinctly yeah and uh because i remember doing that myself after seeing that scene not like right <laughs> after but i was like oh, i'm just gonna eat some olives like share the jar which i like, never did before so that just kind of stuck with me randomly but yeah like you when I watched this for the podcast, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a pretty serious podcast because I didn't realize how loaded this movie was. And they like market it like it was going to be a movie like Blast from the Past or like. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that was like, that was like a sister movie that I was like, oh, it's like a movie like Blast from the Past. And it's just like a, a comedy, like, you know, you get sucked into your favorite TV shows, like the 50s era. But yeah, there was, this movie definitely touched some pretty heavy topics. I still thought it was that until the recent watch, you know? Like, I still thought we were going to just have a lighthearted, fun conversation. But, I mean, yeah. we still could. I'm not saying we're not going to, but what the F? Like, how did, how did we get here? Like, this was not what I intended. And not necessarily in a bad way. It's just, again, not what I intended. It's, it's actually funny you compare it to a blast from the past because after I watched it on Hulu... And then the next movie that played automatically was Blast from the Past. So. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah I, seeing this movie so many times, I did not really pick up on everything that was in it. Like all the references, like there's some Bible stuff and then like civil rights stuff in there that I did not notice as a kid. So at the end of every episode, we ask the question, who is this movie made for? But like, I'll move that to the front because again, if you look at, not all the promo, but a lot of the promo really features Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon, who are like young people at the time. We all kind of thought it was that. Chris, you saw it 37 times and still didn't take it as really this essay on our views of nostalgia and things like that. And it's like, this movie lost money. It was a flop. Bad marketing, but also very ambitious project here. I definitely, like, I'm excited excited to talk about it i found this quote that it was probably on the wikipedia page or the imdb or whatever but it was originally from variety that called the film a provocative complex and surprisingly anti-nostalgic parable wrapped in a beguiling guise of a commercial high concept comedy and i know that's a mouthful but i think that's exactly right you know like it's marketed as this can blast from the past comedy it had a really decent sized budget but it's really like some dude's essay, an essay I tend to agree with, honestly, but some dude's essay on nostalgia or, you know, anti-nostalgia or whatever. And not what I expected to be talking about today is my point. Yeah. When I was watching this movie, like the, the context of this movie is like pretty heavy and serious, but the way it was produced was kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say lower budget because it did have a high budget, but... I felt like the story 
had potential to be up there with like <laughs> I don't know I kept like thinking of Schindler's List they're like it was like some sort of like Oscar win it could have been an Oscar winning movie story but it was uh it was produced and marketed like just like you know just a low-level summer comedy flick <laughs> and it's definitely not that I could imagine people going into the theater like again, maybe like a date movie, as we discussed with one of our previous yeah. friends. I just, thought and I just called it. I just called this movie a flick. So that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. So it's, just, no, it's, not, exactly. it's not a film. It's not. It's not a film. It's a flick. But it could have been a film. It it treads these weird lines, and I think it's pretty heavy handed at times, but not wrong. But also, the stakes for the main characters are not really that high. And I never felt, and correct me if I'm wrong, I never felt Toby and uh, what's her name, Reese Witherspoon were like trapped there or they were somehow altering time and history. It was more like a playground for them to like screw around with. So this is a weird movie. That's all I can say. Maybe that was intentional because the whole movie did feel lighthearted. And then there were definitely some parts that were like, wow, like this, this scene is really heavy. You know, definitely, it definitely made me feel emotional in some scenes. Are you eating? Are you eating olives? It looks like you're eating olives. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was drinking some sang- some sangria I made, which sounds so bougie, and the fruit is stuck at the bottom, so I really wanted to eat it. <laughs> but very, very, such a, very, such very such a hipster problem. Oh, I mean, I know. I'm drinking sangria out of a jar, and there's fruit <laughs> in the bottom. <laughs> Which is very accurate. <laughs> Let me read the back of the DVD so we can get a li- into a little cast and crew and then talk about some favorite moments, some not-so-favorite moments. But here's the back of the DVD. And this will probably uh, give us a good little window on how the film was marketed. In a black-and-white 50s sitcom realm, realm of Pleasantville, Mom always has a yummy meatloaf in the oven. The home team never loses... And romance is a shy peck on the cheek. Until now. Because modern, real-life teens David and Jennifer are mysteriously zapped into that TV world. With them comes ideas and passions that turn the town's cozy perfection into something more challenging and colorful. From Gary Ross comes an imaginative fantasy that maintains its humor, even as it reveals its own true colors about embracing life in all its messiness and unpredictability. Don't touch that dial. Stay tuned to life in Pleasantville. Now, this movie's 1998. Definitely a time where there was a lot of nostalgia, like every decade. 90s are famous more for 70s nostalgia, believe it or not, rather than 50s nostalgia. But regardless, this is like the first decade where we're getting reruns to this degree. We have TV Land. We have a lot of other places because it went from what, five channels to, like, 20 channels to, like, 100 channels, and they had to show something. So we were of a generation that not only grew up with the shows that came out in our era, but we were also growing up with, like, The Brady Bunch and other shows that were from different eras. So this movie, I think, really hit home in that kind of space, whereas, like, I remember watching the trailer for it or, you know, a commercial on TV or whatever, and thinking, oh, what a cool concept, like, to go into these old TV shows where time was so different. So they're definitely hitting on that aspect of it, for sure. Yeah, I think it makes sense, you know, for Tobey Maguire's character. 
he's probably obviously he's in high school so maybe he's like 16 17 years old so that being said he's probably born in the late 80s i mean the early 80s in that in that setting and he's somebody who did not live through the 40s and 50s the post-war era and people in our age group who did not live during those times were kind of like brainwashed by these the tv shows that came out of that era like leave it to beaver i don't know even like happy days but happy days and it's like oh like you know the good old days where it's uh where everybody everybody was so happy and pleasant it's literally called happy days it's called called happy days (laughs) but obviously obviously like i think we're we're sort of brainwashed to sort of envision that decade to that it was really like that but obviously it, it wasn't and somebody like uh uh toby mcguire what's his What's his character's name? Who cares? He's always Toby Maguire in every movie. It's David. Spider-Man, it's David. Peter Parker. It's David, but it's Bud in uh, for most of the movie, so it's confusing. In the, yeah. so, so David, who's just kind of like an unpopular kid going through high school in the late nineties, and there's that scene where, oh, like you you have your chance of getting HIV is is this high, or your chances of, you know, global warming is going to increase the the, the climate and the temperatures in like ten years though, like he's living in this environment where, oh, like the world is potentially going to shit and he's kind of escaping that world uh, by watching Pleasantville and kind of longing for that, that environment, that perfect environment to be in. 100%. The nineties, it's, it's like a grungy time. Like Nirvana is popular, you know, people, like sh- things were kind of supposed to be crazy, you know, and, He's a nerd. Especially they felt that way, too, in the 90s. Like, every decade has its problems, but there was definitely a a, a feeling of, like, the world coming to an end. I mean, which, you know, it's echoed in a different way these days. But there's something, too, about the ephemeral nature of TV shows. Like, they made those, like, Leave it to Beaver shows not thinking they would ever air those episodes again. So they didn't make them for us. But then we have to digest it years later. And you're totally right about, what's his name? Tobey Maguire's character. I, I, I see him as Bud, but Bud's the character in the show. He's, he's clinging on to this uh, idea that that era was better. And again, not to be political, but we still do that today. Like, hello, someone won president with the slogan, Make America Great Again, calling back to a nostalgic time that probably didn't exist, but a lot of people believe did because... Everything was better in the past, right? What this movie does that I think is so smart is that it's not like Back to the Future. It's not like a modern person introducing modern things to an old world. Everything that comes into this world is stuff that actually existed in the 50s. Like the music he brings in is stuff that existed in the 50s. Like uh, there's no let me bring my stuff into you. It's all like let me bring more of reality of what the 50s were like into the TV version of what they could have or what they were supposed to be. So I, I actually think the film does succeed in that realm. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. I can't believe we're talking like this because I did not expect this movie to be about this. And I, I don't know why, again, Chris, you could watch it 37 times or even when I saw it originally, that so many people can watch the movie and not take that from it. And ultimately, this movie is a failure in you know Hollywood terms because it didn't make money. I'm having such a hard time with this movie, guys. I'll be honest with you. And not because I didn't like it. Might as well talk about this director here. 
he, I wouldn't call him a household name, but he's done a decent amount of stuff. Gary Ross. Were you guys familiar with him? Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't know the name, but I looked up obviously his his filmography and you know, big Mr. Baseball. Yeah, as a writer. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Um, what he, he directed? Oh, this, so this was his debut as a director, I guess. Which, also? yeah. By the way, how did he secure this amount of funding and this amount of like? push for what a, this crazy vision as a first-time director slash writer slash producer like you know good for him but that that's just, this is an ambitious first-time production maybe he was uh hanging out with harvey weinstein <laughs> i don't know i don't know and he, he did sea biscuit after this with toby Maguire. he directed the first hunger games and the oceans 8 film in 2018 i'll say this again about the movie i agree with a lot of his takes if we if we want to break down like the rules of this world, it's kind of odd, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't really pass the sci-fi test. It passes more of like a guy's personal essay test. Like they get zapped in here. Don Knotts is basically like, oh, just live in this world, you know. He gets he gets mad at certain times. Then it's like, oh, let's just leave it. And I don't want to talk about the ending yet because I have my thoughts. But mm-hmm. like, okay. Let's compare it to Back to the Future, right? The whole time I'm watching Back to the Future, I'm curious about, A, how he's messing up the potential future, and if he's going to get out of there alive, essentially, and, and fix things the way he needs to, they need to be fixed. I did not have a sense of urgency while watching this film, right? Like, it's more I'm, like, watching things happening, and they're cool things happening, but I wasn't worried that he was going to be stuck there. I'm sorry. Like, call me a sucker for... Easy plot. Yeah, you're, but... you're almost kind of you're almost kind of like egging him on. To <laughs> yeah, like you're right. Universe. Yeah. Well, Tobey yeah. Maguire like kind of tries to keep everything the same. Like he wants the storyline to stay the same. Like she, the girl makes some cookies, and he's like, "Oh, those are for this guy." But and then he starts to. I think he gets a crush on the girl, obviously, and he'll take the cookies. So yeah, she was hot. She was in Sugar and Spice. Yeah, she was in Sugar and Spice. You know who else she was? She was in The Sandlot. As Wendy Peppercorn. Oh, yeah, it's Wendy Peppercorn. Yeah. Oh, so that's Wendy Peppercorn? Yeah, yeah. so all-time hottie in movies. What else was she? She was in the um, Grindhouse feature. Planet yeah, Terror. yeah. Was Planet Terror? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she was the, the mom or the nurse. I forget which character she was, but yeah, that was her. She was very 90s hot, blonde, hot. She, you know, she's 90s, awesome. So. Um, so we mentioned Tobey Maguire as David slash Bud. A lot of people don't like Tobey Maguire. Um, he, he plays this guy a lot, you know, this version of himself. So, But everyone knows him. And Reese Witherspoon, of course, future Academy Award winner as Jennifer slash Mary Sue. I have a lot of thoughts on that character. But, you know, I was surprised. Like, Jeff, I don't know why I didn't remember Jeff Daniels as the uh, soda shop guy. I love Jeff Daniels. What were you guys' thoughts on this character? Uh, I, I really like this character. I don't know. I, I thought he, I thought he fit the uh, th- that role pretty well. He was like, he was like one of my favorite characters to watch in that movie. He's like, he's just like the regular guy, like just getting by, like older, single. Deep down inside him, he's like this, he's like this artist, this, this longing artist, and you know, he really goes through this really uh, beautiful transformation once he like discovers his his passion. And also, which also leads his relationship to uh, to the mom too, Betty Parker. Betty Parker, yeah. He was like the first character that like started like breaking down the barriers. Uh, I enjoyed him. Yeah, I, I liked how he 
he couldn't do anything without Bud. Yeah, and like he almost like like held the uh, like the hub for like the younger people. You know, like that that soda shop was like where all the younger the younger teenagers yeah. hung out, and that was kind of like the hub of like the social change. And you know, they were kind of like exchanging ideas and like you know breaking down bar- social norms and things like that. And there was like that really cool scene where after Toby McGuire. Um, puts out the fire and he goes back to work at the soda at the soda shop and and everyone's looking at him and they're like oh like how did you know what to do with the fire then he started talking about um oh like how some roads are do not circle some roads just keep going and there was like jazz music playing in the background it was like a really it was like it was like a like a like a jack kerouac like beat sort of gathering moment hey hey What's going on? I'm not sure. Um, they want to ask you a question. I didn't really know how to handle it, so. Okay. Did you see everything that I'm the Hi, Bud. How you doing? Hi, Bud. Hi. You wanted to ask me something? How'd you know about the fire? What? How'd you know how to put it out and all? Oh. Well, where I used to live, that's just what firemen did. And where's that? Um. Outside of Pleasantville. What's outside of Pleasantville? It doesn't matter, it's not important. What's outside of Pleasantville? places that the road doesn't go in a circle. There's some places where the road keeps going. Keeps going? Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going. It all keeps going. Roads and rivers and... He was, he was a cafe, or like the coffee shop in like the 50s where I guess where like the beach hung out where ideas were exchanged and things like that. 100%. And that's kind of what I was saying, that I like that they didn't, again, they didn't push things forward. Like, that was actually something happening in the 50s, as you're saying, like Kerouac and the Beatniks. And the art that he gets into is art that was popular, you know, in the 50s, too. Like, when we think of 50s art, we think of, like, people pushing more modern art movements there, and that's what he's doing in it. And I think, again, that is so cool. I tip my hand there, the Jeff Daniels character is my favorite character of the film he's so good he's so good at that like just playing that naivete of what do i do now i didn't see this movie which is a terrible way to start a point but that like ryan reynolds movie that came out i think this year or last year free guy where he was like a video game character who gained awareness it reminded me of at least that premise i watched it on an airplane and it's like uh i think they're called (laughs) npcs or something 
Oh, the free, free guy. Basically, like, like uh, yeah, you're like a background char- character in Grand Theft Auto. Like, they kind of just roam around and do the same things over and over. But he's, like, the first who becomes, like, his own real character. Yeah, and again, similar to this movie, believe it or not. By the way, I, I'm singing a lot of praises for it. I don't think this is an original idea. I think people have been talking about nostalgia as being a trap for years, and they still do, right? So... I credit the idea because I liked it, but I don't think, again, this is guys like invented a new school of thought here. And I think we're going to continue to see movies that play with this a little bit. All right. How about uh, the parents, the fake parents, the in Pleasantville parents, Joan Allen and William H. Macy? William H. Macy is like a a typical worthless 50s guy. (laughs) He goes to work and then the wife does everything at home and then he can't function without her. I like the mom. She's cool. But William H. Macy sucks. He's worthless. Throw him in the trash. <laughs> William H. Macy's really good at playing these characters. Like, he's played them in other films. Oh, like, uh, he, he was like a dad in Fargo. Like, the insecure, like, yeah. indecisive dad. Yeah. He just, he, he just gets pushed around by his environment and, like, people above him. Even Boogie Nights, where he's not a dad. He's a porn director. Oh, a but, but, he, <laughs> yeah. but he's similar. You, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, getting pushed around by things and cucked you know like just <laughs> like he he has just like this wholesome quality even in the least wholesome situation so I, th- I think he's he's good at that and uh joan allen i'm kind of surprised that like she wasn't billed not as the star of this film but to me like she's the character who makes such an impressive change by the way this film and i didn't remember this film has like not that we see it but like a masturbation scene that's really important to the plot and the way this town is going from black and white to color, which again, if we didn't say already, Pleasantville is a black and white show when people seem to have gained emotion or their true calling or just like feel something different than what they're usually feeling. Color will appear. And uh, when Reese Witherspoon's character, Mary Sue at this point um, kind of, tells her she doesn't need her husband for pleasure which again i don't know how much they're doing it's like so enlightening to her and just her journey from housewife to wherever she ends up at the end which we'll talk about it's quite fascinating and bold and it's sad for me to say that like it wasn't a big takeaway on my first watch maybe i was too young that this time i was kind of impressed that they had a masturbation scene for god's sakes mary sue yeah what goes on up at Lover's Lane? What do you mean? Well, you hear these things lately. Kids spending so much time up there. Uh, is it holding hands, that kind of thing? Yeah. Hmm. That and... What? It doesn't matter. No, I want to know. Well... Oh. What sex? You sure you want to know this? Yes. Okay. Well, you see, Mom, when two people really love each other very, very much, mm-hmm. and they want to share that with each other,
Are you okay? Uh, yes. It's uh, just that your father would never do anything like that. Ah. Uh. Well, you know, Mom, there are other ways to enjoy yourself without death. Well, I think sexually they weren't doing anything because when uh, Reese Witherspoon does what she does to Paul Walker, it might just be because he's young and naive. <laughs> he's like so confused what's going on. You know? And then when she does the masturbation scene, I think it's like a burning bush reference. I'm not too well versed in the Bible, but that's what I took from it. Chris, on that note, there are a lot of superficial Bible and racial things here. I think it's easy to get like sucked into those metaphors like on, on face value. A lot of people become colored through their first sexual ex experience, but not that's not the case for everybody, but it's more about what they're transforming from their old typical selves yeah no exactly like there's a deeper thing here and i don't know why he's adding this director slash writer so i'll blame him i don't know why he's adding like biblical metaphors but that's like low-hanging fruit to me that we don't need that there's like a better story in here that again like mm -hmm. there's avenues that like we get it we don't need to take so it's, it's for the philistines brian <laughs> Dan, I was going to add, did every movie we watch have a masturbation scene? Or is that just a... What's, <laughs> what's the Noah Baumbach disturbing one? Um, Squid and the Whale. Squid and the Whale. I guess, I guess just those uh, two. Is there, is there a masturbation election? He, he was watching his... his like, oh, yeah! In the shower. Do you remember that? There is. There is. You're right. And Reese yeah. Witherspoon's in that, too. So we're, we've done two Reese yeah. Witherspoon movies together. I don't think there was a Final Destination. Or Small Soldiers. God, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it should have been in the final destination. <laughs> I, I think Joan Allen does a tremendous job. A couple other people I want to mention quickly before talking like some more scenes and notes. Um, uh, J.T. Walsh played Big Bob, who was the head of the Chamber of Commerce slash the mayor. He's a really great actor. Died pretty young. Died in his 50s. This was the last film he was ever in, so it was dedicated to him. I remember him from um, A Few Good Men and what is it? I think Good Morning Vietnam. So, some stuff here or there. Thought he was pretty good as that mayor slash fascist character. Another heavy-handed thing there. Paul Walker, you know, another person we've lost way too young. Paul Walker as Skip Martin as a perfect little himbo here. I liked him. I think Paul Walker does this really great, just gee whiz kind of character. Sure is pretty. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. To be honest, Mary Sue... I didn't think you'd want to come here until we'd been pinned for a little while. Oh, Skip. You can pin me anytime you want to. Or maybe I should just pin you. <laughs> That's silly, Mary Sue. How can you possibly pin me? Fun to see him in this. Shout out to Fast and Furious franchise as well. Did you notice, like, her friends... Jennifer's friends in the real world are played by Jenny Lewis, who's in a ton of things and a musician I really like, but, you know, she's a child star. Oh, Troop Beverly Hills, The Wizard, like she was in a bunch of cool stuff. The other one is Giovanni Ribisi's sister, Marissa Ribisi. You'll watch other 90s movies and these two are in a lot of like backgrounds as the friends. So just wanted to, 
uh, bring them up. Well, my favorite, but uh, it's a Tobey Maguire's friend. He's the guy from uh, Detroit Rock City and Canada. Yeah, yeah. And those are some, I love those movies. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, D- Giuseppe Howard Andrews. Giuseppe Andrews. Yeah, I, I recognized him from that. Never been kissed. And uh, but I did want to mention their real world mom, Jane Kazimerick from Malcolm in the Middle. She's married to the uh, the bad guy in Billy Madison. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's all I know about her, Malcolm in the Middle and married to uh, Eric <laughs> from Billy Madison. And then, of course, I mentioned him. Classic, classic sitcom actor, Don Knotts. Of course, Andy Griffith Show. A bunch of stuff. Iconic voice. I remember him from Three's Company, which is a show I would definitely go into. How fun is that to be in Three's Company? Like hijinks ensue every episode. You live with two hot girls. I don't know. I've always heard the name Don Knotts and had no clue who he was. So I was, I was surprised when I realized that's him. You ever see Three's Company? No, I, I know what. I know the premise of the show. It's like the two <laughs> girls, and one's a blonde. I think one's a brunette. He played uh, Mr. Furley, who replaced uh, the Ropers as the Super. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Don Knotts, legendary actor, <laughs> legendary voice. This was his last live-action role. He did voice roles after this. Other things I just wanted to mention that I had in my notes before we talk again, whatever scenes we want to talk about, but I think it's kind of cool that in 2022, we can actually live out Pleasantville and still go home after. I mean, it's not like a Westworld situation. For example, when I was uh, doing notes for this movie, um, please, my job, don't listen to this, but I was uh, taking some notes at work for this film, and I saw a sign on the road that for the friends experience on the same street that I work on. And I visited the friends experience. And again, it's like, uh, I mean, you live in LA, so you have the studio tours, which are very similar, but the friends experiences, New York is they've rebuilt the apartment. They've rebuilt the coffee house. They've rebuilt all this stuff. And you just walk around in there, you know? Yeah. It's cool. It's not the same, obviously, but it's cool. Um, that's the level of nostalgia we've gotten to these days. Uh, the other thing too, this gets compared a lot to the Truman Show with some of its values. Now, the Truman Show wasn't oh, yeah. magical in that sense, but it is just someone, I, I guess, being cast in like a, against his will, in like a 50s-style TV show, sort of. And I think they have similar uh, through lines in terms of free will versus, what is not free will? I don't know. Free will versus, I don't know, like destiny or, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like yeah your predetermined fate versus free will as well as you know what people think life ought to be versus what life actually is so i get that comparison and it's funny that like a lot of movies like this were coming out around the same time overall my takeaway with the film though was it's super ambitious super beautiful i don't know if it lands everywhere it needs to land but I generally agree with what the premise is. As for rewatchability, Chris, 36, 37 times, I got to give it to you. As much as I liked this film and I did, I don't know if I could rewatch this film again anytime soon. It was a different world, though. <laughs> we're, we live in a world where we have Netflix and True. stuff like that. Like, the TNT, TBS. Like, when I got IO Digital Cable, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, we, got, we got all these channels. Look at this guide. This is incredible. I wonder if anybody rewatched this movie multiple times 
wanting to be in Pleasantville, the movie. Ooh. I'm sure. I'm sure there there is. Because we follow we follow this guy on Instagram who uh, he wants to live in the world of uh, Airborne, the movie, and he's uh, <laughs> he carries like a Lego toy around all the Airborne spots. Like he brought it to the house, and it's pretty crazy. I love him. He's an amazing influencer. I'm a huge fan of his, but uh, there's a lot of sh- strange people out there. <laughs> airborne that's such a random movie no it's amazing he found us through the podcast we did and he started following us on instagram and uh i love him he's he's awesome pocket mitchell it's called pocket mitchell and he and he's built a like a little mitchell who's the character in the film and he just really he does stuff with this and he's brought him to the actual sites of the movie and he talks like him he like reenacts the movie all the captions are in like mitchell voice you know yeah okay i'm looking at it right now that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah yeah so there's a fan for everything is the point, Chris, and I love it. I don't know if he's serious or if he's the world's greatest troll, but I, I enjoy his work. And and if you look at his posts, uh, probably every one of them has a like from me. So I'm not knocking him. <laughs> All right, guys, I feel like I've talked a lot on this one. What are some of your favorite moments and scenes? I do have some notes on the ending, but I want to get uh, your take on some of the stuff in the film first. Well, I like um, when there's the fire in the, the tree after she masturbates and... Uh, <laughs> The fireman, he keeps yelling fire at the fireman and they don't understand. So then he says cat and then they come running. It's a good scene. Because they're used to just saving cats from trees. and They don't know what fire is. Yeah. (laughs) And that's again, too. Yes, it could be biblical. Also, it could be interpreted as sort of like a Prometheus thing, right? Like someone there, if you want to blame the mom or blame Toby, has brought fire into their world and thus evolved them from the beings that they are to the beings they were but i again that's like too complex for me i don't need to go down those avenues but i do like the physics of the scene and and how cool it looks this movie at the time was considered by some the most a movie with the most effects ever which is crazy to think about but it's only because they had to like the way they shot it and i i should watch some such features i don't really understand it but a lot of what they were going to turn into color was green screen. Like, for example, when the mom is putting on the black and white makeup, in reality, she's actually putting on green makeup so they can green screen the black and white onto her face. So it was actually a really, really complicated procedure. I think that's why special effects is like kind of like a, a lot of people will say this too. Like, this isn't me like making it up, but it's like it's a double edged sword where. The whole movie can be just so overproduced the special effects, it just becomes all about the special effects and there's just no depth to the decisions that they're making with the capabilities of using special effects. But but obviously the special effects for this movie is like it's a necessary technique to to uh, complement the story. But I think I think it does it well. Yeah, that's exactly. It was like really successful, yeah. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but when I was a kid I didn't think like stunts in movies were real. I thought it was all special effects. So like Terminator, when the guy was jumping over the thing, I just thought he was just, uh, I thought it was special effects. I didn't realize he was a stunt man. (laughs) Not giving enough credit to the real human element here, Chris. But I think uh, you hit on a good point because special effects are often thought of as that, like crazy ass stunts, people getting shot at. And sometimes they could be used in, these kind of more artistic ways. And, and I really like that. I really like thinking about them like that, right? Um, this was not nominated for an any effects award, but it was nominated uh, for 
three Oscars, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Dramatic Score by the Randy Newman. Dan, as a recent, uh, somewhat recent New York to L.A. transplant, do you love L.A., Randy Newman style? Do you play that song a lot? I've actually never heard that song. You never heard I Love L.A.? Chris, you know the song, right? No, no I don't, no? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you, no, you've I heard that. Listen to Randy Newman. You never, you know Randy Newman, Toy Story. Of course, yeah. Like the Toy only Story, one yeah, I know yeah. by him is the yeah. uh, the the Little People song. Short people, the Little People. Oh, the short. People, it's the, the it's the L A anthem, and play it on your phones now. You have to. It's been in, it's, thought, dude. It's been um, in so many fucking L A movies. The credits roll, Volcano is what I'm thinking of, which is dumb. But. <laughs> never heard this song now you better because yeah. you're in la now you better play this on your way to work it's like it's like me being toby mcguire <laughs> watching this randy newman music video longing for a certain la certain image what do you mean LA. certain la this is the la i figured exists this is what i want <laughs> <laughs> no it's like my experience of living in la county now or not just yeah i live in technically I live in la city but like i spend most of my time outside city limits and in the county and dude, most of it's like a freaking desert, man. <laughs> like just like just from where I'm at for work and everything, it's just hot and very arid and desert. That's crazy. And cold at night. Don't tell me that. I want I want the Pleasantville, LA. But it's awesome though. It's really cool. I want to live in. I you know I, I I host high school slumber party. I want to go to the Pleasantville version of the Valley. I want to be walking around and there's an all Valley Karate Championship and Valley Girls and the mall and. That's what I want, so don't ruin I think it for that, me. That's like, you would find that, I don't know, like, I kind of got that vibe in, maybe in a little bit of, like, Studio City or, like, Encino, because like, those are, like, really nice neighborhoods, and it looks like, you know, you, you see those strip malls with, like, those signs and really nice neighborhoods. That's cool. Encino Man. Have you seen that film, Encino Man? Is that reference going over your head? No, I know Encino Man. It's got Rudy in it. <laughs> your favorite. Rudy and the, uh, the Hobbit guy. Sean S. Well, he is. That's that is Rudy. Uh, <laughs> Paulie Shore. Paulie Shore. Of course, Paulie Shore and uh, Brendan Fraser. Yeah. The beginning's kind of weird. Like they have like a pretty crappy home life, I guess, and then they sort of be they're transported with this fancy remote into the into Pleasantville. Mm-hmm. Anything though in Pleasantville that really struck you that we haven't talked about yet? Actually, there was a scene that I liked that. Uh... That we didn't even talk about, but go for it. Well, like how they're all nailing every shot in the basketball practice. Oh, I love that and scene. Then actually, after she has sex with him and he tells all the other guys about sex, they all miss. Or even when he misses the first shot, when he says that, "Oh, Peggy Sue won't go out with me. I don't know what I'm gonna do," and then they don't touch the ball. Like, oh my god, this one shot didn't go in, and then they were missing everything. They lost the game really bad. She kind of ruined the town by fucking. <laughs> I, I, don't like uh, like prof- some professional athletes. They they abstain from 
sex or masturbation like yeah before like a fight or like, game yeah 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 and like like manny pacquiao he would abstain from sex for like 21 days or something and, and i'm not even kidding i try to do that before hockey games like, i don't know if it's gonna make a difference i'm pretty old you know i need my juice <laughs> god that's hilarious <laughs> it, it, it makes a difference <laughs> i i uh i went almost three months without blowing a nut <laughs> wow Wow. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Dude, it was crazy, man. And uh, during those three months, like, I was going to the gym a lot more. I was going, like, tw- like, twice a day, like, every day. And, like, I was freaking shredded that that uh, that summer. That was when I was dating Ohm, and she was away all summer. So it's not like, you know, I wasn't, like, you know, seeing anyone else or anything like that. So it was just uh, time for me to try that experiment. And it, And I would say it worked. It definitely worked. I don't, I don't recommend it. It's probably not like good for you. Just like, like holding that in all the time. But, but I, de- I definitely felt an effect, whether if it was physiologically real or if it was just all placebo. You remember the, uh, the Seinfeld where he like doesn't have sex and George Costanza and he becomes a genius. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did, yeah. Did you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the first time I like masturbated after like after I don't know, I don't know exactly how many weeks it was, but there was like a huge drop off in like energy slash aggression in the gym, and just overall just I don't want to say ambition, but like just, just overall drive. I, I get that. I feel like you need that aggression. Mm-hmm. If I'm pissed off, I play better hockey because I'm I'm not just being nice because I'm not in the mentality. Oh, it's men's league. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. But if you're pissed off, you're just going for it. You know, you don't care. It is what it is. Advice on the athlete's mentality and abstaining on high school slumber party. We didn't think we were going to get it today, but I love it. <laughs> In regards to the basketball scene, I love it visually. I think it's one of the coolest parts of the movie. It's one of the things I remembered most about this movie. Like, just all them making the shots and then the miss. But um, overall, I think you guys touched on something interesting in terms of mary sue's character who i actually really like i think she's slut shamed a bit but she doesn't care she just like likes having sex and doing her thing and being herself and i think that's super awesome and she she also like finds her like herself a little at home in this world she's a little reluctant at the beginning but once she starts getting into the books and stuff i don't know if the movie's trying to tell you like read books and don't have sex because like that's a little weird too but I was really, going to be honest with you guys, I'm really perplexed by her ending here. Parts of it I like, parts of it I don't. She decides to stay in Pleasantville after they're kind of given the chance to leave so she can go to college and sort of take a chance in this made-up world and get a made-up degree, I guess, and live her life there. And to her, it's become sort of an ideal world here. But Tobey Maguire's got to return and tell his sad mother essentially we don't see this that hey i know i'm back but guess what your daughter's gonna be missing for life because she's stuck in a tv world little unresolved there so i don't know what you guys thought of uh, her arc and her ending specifically but as much as i like the character i was confused where we ended up I, th- I think the the way time works between the tv show and the real world like present day real world and pleasant in in the movie is obviously not not in alignment mm. i mean we, we could say that oh mary sue she could go through four five, four years of 
college and she could be back in the real world and like you know four hours have passed that'd be awesome well then i definitely agree with the premise i, I wish they clarified yeah, that because in pleasantville they're basically living their life i don't know how long but maybe it was days or weeks um throughout the whole entire story when uh david gets back to the real real world his mom is just coming back from i guess her date or something which is only like i don't know a couple hours two right? hours yeah yeah not even i mean that's an interesting take on that if that's the case i wish they made that a little bit more clear the line i didn't like was like i think i'm gonna stay here it's not like i can get into college at home anyway it's like why because you're a slut her words not mine Mm -hmm. let's say she doesn't get good grades but she appears uh pretty intelligent but let's say that's the case too she's only 18 her life is not over in the real world either i get wanting to stay in that ideal world totally right Mm -hmm. but I think this is a little bit of like an older filmmaker putting that on a younger character. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm kind of surprised she ended up staying there. I could support that though from like a writing perspective because the, the character art for, for both David and Mary Sue, basically they switch places. Which I like. Toby, because David was, yeah, because David was the one who was initially longing to, wanting to be in that world while Mary Sue or Jennifer, she's like, oh, like, you, you know, like this TV show is stupid, you know, I want to I see my boyfriend. They're in the complete opposite positions at the end where she wants to live and be in that TV show and David is back in the real world. So you're hitting on a trope that I actually really like. I don't know this character's name because I haven't watched MASH enough, but there's a character in the TV show MASH that the entire time complained about being in Korea, complained that he wanted to come home. And then in the season finale, he's the one who ends up staying. Like, I I don't know the name of, like, this trope, but it's cool. He ends up, like, really liking it and finding a home there, and it's great. I guess the only criticism I'll have about what you're saying in general is, like, it doesn't feel like Toby is then, like, are you sure? Oh, my God. Like, it's potential that you can't escape this world, and I might never see you again. Sure, time might pass in a couple hours, but I'm taking the remote now. Like, they don't know the rules of this world, so... She could be stuck there forever, and I feel like neither of them consider that even in the slightest that she might be yeah. leaving there, and he might be like saying goodbye to his sister forever. I don't know if we missed something in the movie. It's kind of a long movie, but it just it just didn't land the way it should have. Because everything you're saying, I believe in, but I didn't necessarily feel it towards the end because of like that stuff. Yeah, there was another thing that that the movie ended with with like a few questions, like. My biggest question at the end of the movie was like, where the hell did Don Knotts' character come from? And like, why is he offering this uh, experience to people? Not made clear ever. That was never explained. <laughs> yeah, it was never explained. Yeah. So like basically like the whole, the whole entire support for this whole entire story, like it was never explained. It never, it never, it never existed in, in the movie. Like where did Don Knotts come from? Like where was, why, why is he, why, why is he allowing him to allow people to go inside his TV show and relive, re- relive uh, these shows. Or maybe, it, okay, so maybe we can look at it like this. Don Knotts in the movie is playing himself as Don Knotts, <laughs> who, is nostal- who is nostalgic to be back in the Andy Griffith times or the Roper's times to like relive, relive that life again. So like he's, he's recruiting people to 
relive his old life during his golden age. I mean, that's not a bad premise, but like, <laughs> tell me that. Explain that. Like, you're sort of, and sometimes he's angry and sometimes he's the bad guy, but sometimes it's just like, all right, let's take you back home. Like, I just don't. <laughs> I actually, again, I actually really like the messaging of this film. I really like the effects. Crappy sci fi in this film, right? Like, the rules are. You need you need a backbone to make me believe something more, and I just I, I don't I don't understand them here. Like at the end of the day, they they don't seem to care that they're separating. They don't seem to like have any worry that they're going to be trapped there, except like superficial worries. Like I have to go on a date with this hot guy here. I like I like her her character, but like I don't know if I like the ending of this film, and I. Honestly, the director kind of says that when the three, um, Jeff Daniels, uh, William H. Macy, and uh, the mom character are sitting on the bench and they're like, what do we do now? So what's going to happen now? I don't know. Do you know what's going to happen now? No, I don't. <laughs> On a higher level, that's like, okay, you know, like, we have free will, what do we do now? But also, like, what does the writer do now? What, is, what does the story do now? Like, he created a love triangle that they all seem to just not know how to solve themselves. It was the writer just writing himself in the movie where he was just like, how do I write this movie? How do I finish writing this movie? Just, I don't know. <laughs> Everything's just this movie just super meta. That's what it is. Yeah, it, it feels like also like it just to bring it back to high school. Like if I went on a tangent on like a high school essay or even a college essay and I didn't know how to end it, you know, and like you just kind of do like the what is life ambiguous ending? It's like we'll never know the answer to this question really. So, you know, yeah. like, so, <laughs> but the journey is what mattered. Essentially, it's our it's our acid and basis project. <laughs> acid and basis galore. What a dumb title, galore. <laughs> Chris, thoughts on the ending or anything else in the movie? I felt like Reese Witherspoon's character had like the biggest effect on the whole town. So she's the one who started talking about the books, got them going. She's the one that started all the sex and the fucking. Um, <laughs> Talking, just going yeah. around, just blowing everybody in Pleasantville. Just talking everyone. Uh, to me, her staying there is really stupid. You're gonna stay in a fake world and go to fake college. It's dumb. I, I don't know, but she's changed the most too. She's she's gone from the '90s slut to the, the Pleasantville college girl that doesn't want him to burn the books. But I. I I know 90 sluts not nice. I apologize. No, but she but like again, you're not saying it. She calls herself that. She doesn't call herself 90s, yeah. but she calls herself that. So it's not we are not slut shaming. I actually think she's a very empowered character. You're right who makes uh you know a huge difference in this town for actually for the better. So you're in you're, the face of second wave feminism in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um sexual liberation absolutely so she she's actually a good character but you're, you're right chris in a sense like i'm vacillating between this college thing where again essentially i get it but she also knows this is a fake world that bus could take her to a blank screen you know what i mean it could be like that room in the matrix where there's nothing like we don't know the rules of this and she's just taking a chance 
No, she's going to Springfield. I didn't think about the way Dan <laughs> thought about it. Like, I, I didn't realize the time thing. I just was like, oh, she's going to be there forever. I didn't, I didn't think, yeah, they, and the whole time they were there, the mom just got back from the date. So I guess that part is okay. But to me, it's just stupid to stay somewhere that's not real. You're accomplishing nothing in a fake world. That's another thing, too. They don't know what it's like when, it co- when they come back. You could come back and not, I mean, we, we learn. Because Toby has all the memory of, of Pleasantville, but you can come back and not have like everything you learned in college. Like she, she doesn't know that. Like there's no proof of that, but she still takes this leap. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, Dan, any other scenes in the movie you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I wonder if this was intentional, where the beginning and the end, like the actually the end is maybe not the end, but more the beginning in present day present day uh, movie. It was shot so differently. Now, I'm, besides the fact that, yes, it was in color versus black and white, but I think it was shot so differently and than the actual Pleasantville, uh, Pleasantville part of the movie when they're in the TV show. But I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the physical elements of, that, of those two separate worlds. But one uh, scene that I really didn't like that, that just bothered me, just I was just annoyed by it, was when they were, when they were in present day, and Toby Maguire, he's uh, getting ready to watch the TV show Marathon. And Reese Witherspoon is getting ready for her date. And, and like you see like the montage of them like getting ready and like he's eating the potato chips. And she's putting on lipstick at the split screen. And there's like big dance swing like music. Like, bah, da, da, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like made, just, like made no sense. I'm like, what the hell am I watching right now? <laughs> I just like how the guy... He goes to the door and she, and she doesn't answer. He's a bitch. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes, actually. I feel like we missed we missed a big thing that we didn't even talk about. How the civil rights part of the movie, where the guy had the no colored sign in the store, and they like they had to teach them to not be ignorant against the colored people. Well, you know? again, and you're saying colored because coloring of the thing, but of the, yeah. I didn't mention it because it's looped into me with the biblical stuff in here. Like, this was like the director just adding some sauce here. You see, racism's also bad, you know? Like, we get that. Like, people who are different than you, they're always going to be feared like that. And when they shoot, uh, to kind of your point, Dan, when they shoot the guy speaking at the meeting with his, like, new laws, they shoot him like he's Hitler or Mussolini with that logo in the background, right? Oh, yeah, and, like, there's, a, there's like, a shot of him, like, behind him facing the crowd and it's like a lenny recenthal movie yeah hitler Hitler nazi propaganda movies the crowds like all lined up in front of him yeah so like i don't know if those are some of my favorite parts of the movie because those are the more obvious parts right like i hope no one's watching this movie and learning like oh racism is bad (laughs) you know yeah like like you said dan before like it's like so condescending to say but like that's like the philistine stuff like (laughs) <laughs> you know, just as a little call. It really is, yeah. A callback to like what? <laughs> yeah. Callback to a who, who is this made, who is this movie made for? Philistines. <laughs> <laughs> it w- it was already hitting those notes in such subtle ways that I didn't need a no colored sign, yeah. like the literal yeah. sign that says it. Because like you know, we get it. You fear the new. You fear what's different in this town. That's a real thing. Sorry, I brought it up. No, 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 no. I'm glad you brought it up. No, I'm not mad at you, Marina. But, but Brian, I could, I could see, like, I, I get I get it how it's so, like, apparent in your face, the whole racism aspect of it. But 
I wasn't like super against that though in the in that movie, like the the, the choice they made to put that in the movie, because maybe it was just like back then it was that blatant. Yeah, you might you know? be right. You might no, be right. Like experiencing that. Yeah. Like I am viewing it in a 2022 lens this time and not a 1998 lens. I think too, like he watches the show and I'm talking about Tobey Maguire and then he thinks it's so great and everything's perfect. Right. Yeah. And then he has to go back and teach them all this shit that they should know already. And when you put it that way, it does make sense with the whole thing of like, again, bringing in uh, the style of jazz music and the style of art that was popular in the fifties. And it's like, Hey, how about the civil rights movement that was popular in the 50s? But you watch all these old shows and there's no black people in them. But that's not reality, too. They weren't, they obviously, the United States has been diverse and it's always been diverse. And it's not Leave It to Beaver. It is more like that. So, in that sense, like just to highlight another huge aspect of the 50s of the civil rights movement, I guess it does make sense there. Anything else uh, in Pleasantville or should we get to our awards? Um, let me see. Yeah, I I thought what was pretty cool was the uh, going back to the, the the soda shop scene. That was my favorite scene in the whole movie. The, the soda shop, the soda shop scene when he was talking about the fire and the roads and people are gathered around him and talking to him. I mean, listening to him like as if as if uh, he was like this Kerouac or Ginsburg character. But that that scene could have been ruined. Potentially could have been ruined by if he just started to rattle off poetry and like everyone's wearing berets and <laughs> yeah, like, cigarettes like, snapping fingers like, yeah, yeah man cool snapping <laughs> their fingers <laughs> cool dude <laughs> but yeah it was it was just like that really subtle moment too where i thought that was really smart and also the um the choice of art that uh jeff daniels was attracted to actually he was unintentionally doing was he was doing a lot of like picasso like surrealism type art in his paintings and he was like oh he was kind of like disappointed like yeah i'm trying to make it look like this this classic classical painting of a still life but for him to paint in that particular style made sense because picasso for example and the whole surrealism movement it was kind of like a i guess like a precursor to the beat generation because they all thought in like the stream of consciousness and like um, working from the subconscious. Yeah, and again, I love that because where I know Picasso is working in, you know, like the twenties, thirties, and obviously up until his death. But we are never, as a mass, quite aware of what the hottest art movement is, unless we're really into art, right? In the fifties, they were really getting into like Picasso's stuff of like the twenties and thirties, and that was super cool for them. So it makes sense that that would be the art that he would be depicting and you're right in terms of a, on an artistic level on a level of sort of breaking down the structure there like it totally makes sense like the beat poets would have been inspired by that sort of art so yeah you're right like that that's the scene that hits most or one of the scenes that hits most and one of the coolest visual images you know or even that like stained glass he makes of her outside and they're I think that's like really cool and so vibrant the way it looks like contrasted against everything that and and just back to Jeff Daniels to have this artist who he's just like again that typical struggling artist and not knowing why this is happening but he's so sincere about it and he just wants to connect and connect with her that's why it makes that weird ending of like the three of them on the the bench like what do we do now kind of interesting yeah why does he why does he switch in 
when he says, I don't know. Like that, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's what like, I mean. Like, I, I don't like, get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there, like, is there a threesome? I thought there was like a threesome, like with... That would be a statement. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, because it kind of looks like William H. Macy and uh, the mom, like, reconcile a bit, sort of. I thought he was going to be like, you know what, I'm going to go to college too and learn painting or paint other things around the world, right? But it was more like... Sell, oh, sell, my, sell my shop and travel yeah. on a road trip and just paint. Yeah, that that's, <laughs> seems more logical for that character, but no, nope, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he'll do that eventually. Um, all right, let's get to our awards then. Okay, so we sort of answered this, but let's like, you know, nail a good answer here. Who was the movie made for? Was it the Philistines, as we said? Was it horny teenagers? <laughs> Who was the film made for? I'm sticking with Philistines. <laughs> They're colored signs and, and Adam and Eve references and the, uh, the tree of knowledge or fruit of knowledge or whatever the Bible thing is. How about you, Chris? Who was the movie made for? Uh, I was in my early teens, so I'm going with the teens. I think this is the biggest problem of the movie. Like, it doesn't really nail this question. That's really important to sell something. Not necessarily to make art, but to sell something. Which, clearly, this, mar- this movie was marketed to sell. It's got, like, a lot of teen cast, too. It's got heartthrobs with Paul Walker. Right? Paul Walker, Reese Witherspoon was at the time, for sure. Tobey Maguire, he's in the cool crew at the time, the DiCaprio crew. So, <laughs> most likely to succeed. Which character won the movie? Um, I'd say, um, Betty Parker, Joan Allen. She, I think she had the most, one of the more profound transformations and discoveries about herself. You know, I think her, her change and her decisions, uh, impacted the community the most. Yeah, I would go with, um, Reese Witherspoon's character or Joan Allen. Yeah, I definitely had the two of them on my list. Maybe Jeff Daniels' character would be in there too, but a lot of people gain in this movie, so I think all good answers. I think, And I think her character, she was like in the shittiest position before things started True. changing, where she was just like housewife. You know, she was a female and during that era and just, you know, just expected to make dinner at six and be home all the time and do chores. True, and if you think about it, right, like Reese Witherspoon, again, has a lot less to lose um, than her and that structure right then again Reese Witherspoon has a different world that she's abandoning I don't know but a lot of a lot of potentials here all right Wooderson award is there a character in the film who you would have liked to have seen more of someone maybe in the background you're like hey they did a really good job I I, you know like some more scenes with them Uh, I I liked her annoying friends that laughed at everything oh yeah they were pretty good One of them was played by Maggie Lawson, who's in a ton of things. She was on that TV show Psych, and uh, a big TV actor. And the other one, I, I don't know. I thought I noticed her from something. Um, yeah, but th- they were pretty. They were pretty cool. Uh, I like those girls. How, how about you, Dan? Um, yeah, I want to say uh, Jeff Daniels' character, but I, I think we gave him enough attention on this episode. I don't know. Maybe the uh, like I would have liked to seen no one, not anyone specific, but seeing the households, other households within Pleasantville and their experiences. Like, you know how there was that bowling bowling alley scene with all the, the dads who are there? Yeah. And he's like, oh, like, my wife, you know, she she says she was, uh, I asked her what she was doing, and she says she was just thinking. Like, I would have liked to have seen, like, a 
critique of other homes and households within Pleasantville. Yeah, that's actually a really good one. I like that. And what their and what their lives are would would have been like. Yeah, because it's it's interesting. I imagine a lot of the same, but it is it would be cool to see the dynamics because they were different people and different characters. Yeah, I I picked the girl who uh, the Wendy Pepper Peppercorn girl, the one who ends up being with Tobey Maguire. I'm very curious, like what her motivations were for switching like guys you know what i mean like i she was inspired by him at the coffee house but i love her agency with that you know and i I would would just like to see more from her i felt like she got a a good amount of screen time like she had the the garden of eden scene where she like hands him the apple the red apple and then it starts raining after he eats it i forgot about that you're right (laughs) i forgot she's she's in a couple screen movies too I was looking up her IMDb. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think it was pretty... Margaret is her name. Margaret, that's what it is. Margaret. Um, Okay, so next question. Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Anyone you would delete for, you know, 2022 reasons or just like it was, uh, you know, too much for the film or just didn't fit in? Any character's plot line you would take away here? Hmm. It is a long movie, so yeah, that's a tough question. You know, what? I guess I, I guess this movie, yeah, you know, could have done been done without um, what's her name, Jane Jane Kasmarek. Oh yeah, like the mom thing. The mom, yeah, that whole little mini little subplot, and just to set the tone of like present day like dynamics, I guess, and divorce, and I don't know. I pick her. I actually like really identified with their their home life. Makes my life sound bad, but it, it that was pretty much my life. You know, I watch TV and yeah, but I don't care about her character either. She could get lost. <laughs> I love it. I, agree, yeah. I really identify with that, but fuck her. <laughs> it's a really really good point you made. I mean, your personal identification with this. I think a lot of people could identify with like sort of being raised on TV, coming home and. Well, watching these shows and like that's what's occupying most of your time so why do you think i've seen this 37 times (laughs) really good point (laughs) really good point and like i'm only laughing because you know you're right like i think there's a lot of people in that case you know i watched a lot of tv growing up too and a lot you know a lot of people i know did and you would think about what it would be like to be in these worlds and what it would be like even again go back to friends what it would be like to be young and single and living in the city and rent doesn't seem like it's that much money and you know you have cool jobs but you could also pay your rent working at the coffee house like it's idealized but it's also something that i think a lot of kids do and maybe going back to who was this movie made for maybe that's why teenagers were so drawn into it because the premise seemed enticing you know cameron fry award did anyone look too old to be a high schooler in the film of the teens i think toby mcguire how old was he during this let's see like i was gonna say i thought it was well casted but he just always looks the same. I would say the guy who uh, calls her a bitch. Oh, yeah. He definitely he, doesn't look like a high schooler. He looks way too old. He definitely doesn't look he's like, like a high schooler. He's like 27. He was 23 in this movie, Tobey Maguire. Okay. So, I mean, it's not that crazy off. But, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris, the guy you're talking about, the, her original date, looks like he's 40. At least 30. I would say like 27. <laughs> he's definitely way too old to be in high school. Toby has a lot of adult sensibilities, but I think that he's just an old soul, you know? That's true. Okay, so the tough question every week, guys. We have to grade this film. 
I have the manila card. I have the red pen. I'm going to hand it to you. A plus to F scale. On High School Slumber Party, we have to grade the film. Little cheat sheet before that, though. Just want to let you know that Rotten Tomatoes, 85% of the critics liked this film. 79% by the audience. On Letterboxd, the film nerds, 3.6 out of 5. So decent scores all around, but you can throw that out. We'll start with Mr. 37, Chris Carroll. What will you grade this film? A plus to F. I'd give it like a B minus. I really enjoyed this movie when I was a kid. I really liked it. If I'm grading it on my kid days, I'd say B minus. I guess present day, 35-year-old Chris Carroll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a regular C. Just a plain C. Gotcha, gotcha. That's fair. Uh, Dan, what about you? I, I'll give it a B plus. Nice. B plus for uh, watchability, ease of watching, watchability, and you know, just being able to take on a pretty serious subject matter, and I guess putting it together in a pretty watchable and unique way. I'd like to watch this movie again, not analytically. Like, I kind of want to... Because, like, I, I'm struggling with if this movie, for me, is rewatchable. And I want to not think as much while I watch this, ironically. Like, maybe, you know, your Philistine answer, Dan, like, maybe I need to be more Philistine-ish when I watch it. Again, I think the what the director is trying to say, the essay part of this, I think is really good. I love the visual effects. The story has some of its flaws, but maybe I'm just not supposed to care about that, right? I gave it a solid B because I think it's a, a good movie. Is it ch- going to change the, the way I think about things? No, but maybe reaffirm them a little bit. Yeah, so overall, B, you gave a B plus, and Chris just bashing this film. C, no, C is still a solid grade. Maybe I'll take your B minus or whatever, but it's, uh, again, not the greatest film in the world, but enjoyable. Well, you guys brought to my attention that a lot of the things in the movie don't make any sense. So that's, that's why I lowered the grade. But it, to me, it doesn't matter that much, right? Like, it's, it, I'll be honest again. I'm still struggling with uh, who is this made for? Like, how am I supposed to take this movie? Am I supposed to see it as like a higher level thinking movie or is this just good, clean popcorn fun? If it's good, clean popcorn fun, then whatever. I actually, I looked up the, um, that guy that was talking about the guy who calls her a bitch. His name's Mark. And uh, he's 24. So we were we were a little off. Too old for high school, but oh, he looks old. he looks older. Yeah, wow. He was in Power Rangers. <laughs> nice, the Silver Ranger. Silver Ranger. I don't remember that one. Sleeping Bag. This is a very visual movie, so I'm very curious about this question for you guys. So Dan, you first. What does your custom Pleasantville sleeping bag look like? Oh, I've thought of this one. It's it's a sleeping bag that says. I got this sleeping bag from Lovers Lane. Ooh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Lovers Lane like gift shop sleeping bag. It's like a souvenir. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What does your pleasant little sleeping bag look like? I would have a teal, nineteen fifty seven Chevrolet sleeping bag. Nice. It feels it's very Pleasantville. Nice. I like that too. I'm trying to think of mine gonna seem like i'm a fascist but i i want a black and white sleeping bag with that like chamber of commerce handshake logo on it you know it's (laughs) it's just black and white you know i'm not a fascist for the record but i think that like the imagery of that is really cool (laughs) pleasantville chamber of commerce sleeping bag all right guys this is my favorite question every week the three of us we walk into a blockbuster that has every movie that has ever existed in the history of movies 
up until this point today. You know, we're going to rent Pleasantville. We know we have our sleeping bags picked out and we know we're going to watch Pleasantville. But we see a sign when we get to the counter that says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, fuck it. The two of you go to the back, find me two other movies that you would rent with Pleasantville. And let's make this a marathon night of movie watching. So, uh, Dan, you first. What two other movies would you pick to watch with Pleasantville? Back to the Future. Nice, nice, obvious connection. And Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Interesting. Nostalgia factor? Nostalgia factor involved and the riding on the theme of personal change leading to social change or the other way around. Social change to personal change, that whole theme. Now, I got to ask, Forrest Gump is recently on the internet, I suppose, taking a lot of shit for actually not being a good movie. That's what people have been saying in really? the last couple of years. Is, it being, is, Forrest Gump, is Forrest Gump getting canceled? No, I don't think canceled like that. I think people <laughs> people are debating, like, was this actually a good movie? Or were we hoodwinked because there's a lot of cool things happening in it? I'm not weighing one side or another. I'm just asking you. Clearly, you still think Forrest Gump's a good movie. Yeah, I still think it is. See, I watched Forrest Gump like a, like um like a popcorn movie. Like I watch it like a Philistine. I watch Forrest Gump like a Philistine. I don't really dig too deep into Forrest Gump. And I, and I think I'm with you, Dan. Like I don't hate Forrest Gump like some people now, but it was an Academy Award movie back then. And that seems silly to me today. It should just be like a, let's yeah. have fun and watch this. Oh, cool. He's with Nixon. That's fun. You know what I mean? Like that's how I see it more. So, yeah. so I think I'm with you. Chris, do you want to weigh in on the Forrest Gump debate or just, uh, Pick your two films that you would watch with Pleasantville. Um, I could see I, why well, I could see Forrest Gump could be mocked all the time, but yeah, sorry, Chris. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all right. I, I really like Forrest Gump, but I think it's great. I like how he, uh, he like he's so dumb and he runs when he plays football. <laughs> he just runs out of the stadium. I'm a big fan. I, I think everybody needs to calm down. Leave Forrest Gump alone. <laughs> <laughs> leave Brittany alone. <laughs> My two movies, I would take uh, a movie we already talked about. It is pretty similar, Blast from the Past, nice, I would nice. take. And I, I would go Dumb and Dumber because Jeff Daniels. <laughs> I, that's just a movie. I, that's another movie I could watch like a million times and I never get tired of it. That was one of my go-tos. Nice. Sometimes I rent movies as well. And like I said, I want a big marathon. If we're doing this, we might as well pick the Truman Show too. Just to c- compare and contrast. Jim Carrey, similar era, right? And the other the other uh, film I'm going to pick is actually a miniseries, Disney Plus, WandaVision. Specifically the first episode, which is very similar to this. And, you know, spoiler alert, but like what the character of Wanda is doing in the show is very similar to Pleasantville. I remember even watching it and being like, did they just copy Pleasantville for this entire premise? Um, it's a little different there, obviously, superheroes and stuff. But I'm going to go with WandaVision and The Truman Show. I think we all have... Very fun picks here. Anything you guys want to plug or say before we get out of here? Thank you again for joining me to talk this film. And I feel a little bad in a sense that like I thought this was just going to be silly, lighthearted fun. And we have to we had to get religious and philosophical today. Um, so apologies for that. But I had a fun time chatting. Uh, anything you guys want to plug? No. No social media? No. <laughs> no, I don't I don't have anything good. To Chris, you, you post you post hockey videos. No. <laughs> Definitely not. How about you, Dan? <laughs> Anything you want people to follow you on? No, no nothing to plug. Social media wise, just, just, uh, no. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just lurking on the Instagram. That's all. 
You look, but you don't touch. I love it. Well, thank you guys for taking the time out and uh, hope to talk to you guys again soon. Big thank you to two of my oldest friends, Christopher Carroll and Danny Kim. Always love having them on the podcast and loved talking Pleasantville today with them. Even though it's summer, you remember we're in summer school. We are trying to finish off the senior year and hopefully, I don't know, go somewhere next year. I gotta assign you homework. I'm sorry. I know it's hot. I know you'd rather be outside with your friends, but homework has to be assigned if we're going to do this together. Monday. I promise we'll have an episode on Monday. Another high school friend, a friend of all of us today on the podcast, Kyle Reinfried will be here, and we'll be talking a classic. That's right. We're talking Dirty Dancing. summer vacation. Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. But it turns out to be the time of her life. What's it now? I can't even do the merengue. He teaches her what she can do. you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Starring Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and Cynthia Rhodes. Get ready for the time of your life. So that's your homework. Watch the classic, the great summer movie, Dirty Dancing, and tune into this podcast early next week. Kyle Reinfried and myself will be talking about it. One more thing before I let you guys go. Remember that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with another song off the Pleasantville soundtrack. This is a more modern track, and it's what the film ended with. Fiona Apple's rendition of Across the Universe. What happens now? I don't know.
still here? It's over. Go home. Go.